we're here, dude. What's up? CJ Price. Yeah. We got CJ Price in the room, everybody. In the apartment. In the apartment, dude. Air conditioning in the valley. Hell yeah. We need it. I don't have it. You don't have it? And nope. You, you don't have air conditioning at your place? No. No, no I live in a 100-year-old building. There's no air conditioning at all. We we bought a portable one for like $130 on Amazon, so you just know it's going to be a piece of shit. <laughs> but we have to like put water in it for it to work for like 13 hours at a time, and then you have to refill it with water. It's going to be – it's an experience. Especially it's, for this summer, dude. It feels yeah. like it's going to be a hot one, man. I'm going to need it, though. But there's no other way of getting it because like we live on the seventh floor, so installing a window unit – would require a really tall ladder like to like get out there and like oh, install it into the wall so the landlord informed me that that's not gonna happen is what he told me so it's like one of those window things uh yeah like a swamp cooler oh, okay like okay. unit so, yeah. and then we looked at portable ones which are the ones that just like sit on the floor and you have to feed like a hose through it but it looks so bad <laughs> that i'd rather be hot than just have this behemoth in my apartment do you guys have a heater in there? Yeah, we have a heater, but we, no yeah, we're not using it at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not using it in the summer. Well, before we get the episode fully started, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor. Uh, we've got a sponsor on the show, right? Oh, wow. So our official sponsor for this episode is Hugo Boss, the official producer of the Third Reich uniform. CJ, you look like you've got some okay. Hugo Boss in your closet. Is yeah. the fabric still as soft as the Nazis say they were? <laughs> I don't. I don't want to do that. Uh, I knew where you were going with that. As soon, I'm not going to answer the question. Uh, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. Um, that sucks. This is just a roast. I don't, battle, I don't like that you did that. No, it's not a roast. That's just you calling me a Nazi. That's not a roast. That's not the way a roast works. That's just you pulling. I drove here. I used my gasoline to come here, not get paid to be on the second episode of your podcast that no one's going to watch for you to call me a Nazi, essentially. As soon as you said sponsored by Hugo Boss, I was like, this fucking guy. Like, I knew exactly where it was going. If you would have said Doc Martens, same thing. I would have known exactly where it was going. How does it feel to stomp on Jews? Like, how does it feel? Everybody has the same jokes lined up for me. The same stuff. I, ugh, I'm done. I don't want to be called a Nazi anymore. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. America and the Philippines, where this is broadcasting to, I'm tired of being called a Nazi. I'm done. I don't I don't like it. I don't think it's that funny. I don't think Nazis were that funny of people. I really don't. I don't think they were I mean, the the voice is a little silly and the belief system is silly. But other than that, it's they're not funny. They're not funny people. No, no not at all. Well we'll move on from that then. All right. Why don't we talk about you fucking Duarte or whatever? Like, <laughs> Filipinos got some skeletons currently in the closet. You guys have a Hitler currently in control of your people. Hitlers. We've had Hitlers. You've like had consecutive. Mold- oh, in a row. In so a row. That's just, it's since probably since Hitler, there's just been, dude, it's bad. Like my parents had to move out here. So really? Yeah, my dad. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah, ruined yeah. the country. It, it's, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Great. It's a beautiful country, though, from what I hear. I've never Philippine? been. You've never gone? I've never gone, no. Why not? Uh, because there's dictators. Well, that and uh, when fled. when when I was growing up, uh, we I would always me and my sister would always hear these horror stories of how dangerous the Philippines was. So oh. my whole life, I was just like, well, I'm not gonna go there. It's a third world country and all this stuff. And they would freak me out because they're like, especially if you they know that you're American and you speak it, you know what I mean? Hmm. And so I was always shady about it, like going there. But my sister and my mom got to go uh, right before the pandemic. My sister loved it. It was her first time there. It's great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think it'd be scary because I lived near a Jollibee for eight years, <laughs> and that's the least intimidating place on earth. Have you gone to a Jollibee? Yeah, it's not yeah. good. It's, what? No, it's fine. Compared what, to what like, you have, what I had, I've tried the spaghetti with 
uh, cheese on it and a side of fried chicken. I've had the burger, which is one of the worst burgers of all time. I've never had the burger, dude. I tried their hollow hollow. You don't like hollow hollow? I like hollow hollow. I don't like uh, Jolly Bee hollow hollow. I don't. I just. I didn't think it was as good as the line for it makes it out to be. I got you. And then, I don't know. It, the mascot doesn't lead me to think intimidating at all because it just looks like the Filipino bee man from uh, The Simpsons. That's what it the Filipino me. version of the bee yeah, man. The Filipino <laughs> version of the bee from The Simpsons. Oh shit! Philippines, and you you've never gone. So you were born in. Ra- I'm interviewing you. Uh, so you were born and raised in the states. I was right? born in Hawaii. Uh, oh, was lived, okay. grew up there for seven years, and then my mom moved to Vegas to open up a business. Uh, she was there for like six months, and then we all moved. Me, my sister, and my dad moved out there to meet her. What kind of business? Uh, healthcare. Uh, she opened up like an old folks home. Okay. Yeah, dude. Oh. Yeah, I remember we were talking about that a little yeah, bit. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, I used to yeah. live in one, dude, since I was seven. You lived in a I, I, well, I, retirement? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it started off with my mom had this building, and then like we there was like a storage room in the back okay. of, of the – it was a house. But there's there's a storage house at the back, and that's where we lived. There's no toilets, nothing. We had to poop in a fucking bucket, dude. And, and we got here – we got here like sounds like you have been to the Philippines, yeah. <laughs> dude. It's weird because a lot of Filipinos, especially at, like even when they make money, they'll still. It's like that old saying: you can take the person out of the barrio, but you can't take the barrio out of the out of the person. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know that saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it was it, it was it was a wild time, dude. And the, the thing that sucked was it was winter time, so I was not used to the cold. Okay. So I broke out in this crazy rash, dude, for like three months. Really? It, yeah, it was just. All right, well, that, we're just going to have to deal with that. Yeah, we'll Sorry about that, folks. There's uh, Looks like there's people working in the back. They're done listening. No one's listening. They've been gone. No one's listening. They've been gone. Ever since I <laughs> talked shit on the Philippines, they've been gone, dude. That's the whole, that's the whole fan base. So you, but you've never been outside of America, huh? No. I mean, I've been to Tijuana, but right. I, I mean, that's uh, if you ask my girlfriend, that's America. North America's America. Come on. We know what the real America is. But uh, <laughs> I've been to Tijuana before, which that's basically San Diego. Right. No, like that doesn't feel like you're anywhere else. Like they won't – like I got pesos from – my mom got pesos from an ATM machine. Uh, she didn't think it would give her pesos. That's, uh, we'll get into that. But like we tried buying stuff with the pesos in Mexico, like from vendors and stuff like that, and they wouldn't take it from us. They're like, no, American money only from you Are guys. you serious? Yeah, I mean who cares? Of course they're going to want that instead that's of true, the right? pesos, like the exchange rate and all that. That's like, very true. It's worth more. That's just a fact. But I remember my mom went to the ATM because she was, like, running out of cash. And she didn't want to use, like, a card there. Or maybe you couldn't use a card. There's street vendors pretty much everywhere. And then she puts her card in, which I didn't know how the bank down there would work with her card. But it did. And it gave her pesos out. And I remember her being shocked by the ATM in Mexico <laughs> giving her Mexican currency. And I just remember. Even I was like an eighth grader. And I remember being like, yeah, mom, what did you think would happen? It's like if someone goes to a bank in America, you're going to get American currency. If you go to a bank in Mexico, what currency do you think <laughs> you're going to get? It's not like they're just like they didn't like read your face and they're like, oh, well, she wants, <laughs> she wants a dollar. She wants dollar bills, which are worth substantially more than these yeah. pesos. Yeah. And then we couldn't buy anything. So then we had to like find we had to like make our way back. And like what she got a taxi that would take the pesos from her. But she had to like wildly overpay just so we could get back to the border of San Diego. That is so wild. That's dude. my only experience leaving the country, and now that's why I refuse to go anywhere else. 
Because I'm not going to go to some fucking bank in Paris and be given whatever Paris money is. No way. You're giving me American dollars. And if you don't want to take them when I'm in your country, if you don't want to take my American money, then guess what? I'm walking. I'm eating somewhere else. Or I'm not eating at all. I'd rather starve than spend your your Pierre dollars or whatever they're called. <laughs> Pierre? Are you talking about Paris? Yeah. What, what's the... They're, what, still, they're still using euros. They use euros? Yeah, they use euros. No, and then like what? I thought that went away. I thought I thought when Brexit happened, the euro was supposed to crash, and everything was supposed to be destroyed. And it looks like everything's the same. It looks like everything's beautiful out there. Dude. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm not in like support of Brexit. I'm not against Brexit. I honestly didn't know what it was. It sounded like a like a like a food item. I don't think anyone knew what it was. I don't even think they knew what it was. No, they didn't know what they were getting. They were just like, all right, we're just gonna say call this Brexit. And yeah, that was it. I just remember like a lot of like my liberal friends. Being like, this is the end of the world economy. And I was like, wow, that sounds insane. Why would they do that? And then it happened, and then, like, the prime minister resigned, like, immediately. Yeah, yeah. David Cameron, I think, was that his name? Well, and or, for, no. It was David Cameron, that was. Oh, the prime minister. Was Can- yeah. Was Canada David Cameron? Who cares? Who gives <laughs> yeah. a shit? This is America. <laughs> Donald Trump's still David. president. Uh, he won. Biden fixed it. Double the votes. Every vote for Biden counted as two. You can read the old Dominion, old Dominion machines, man. They're fucking telling you two votes for Biden. Check out Roseanne Barr on Theo Vaughn. <laughs> she lays it all out for you. I don't believe anything I just said. I don't believe anything that I just said. I voted for Biden. Biden is rightfully president. Barack Obama is the greatest president of all time. You could believe that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm just going all over. The you're good, dude. You're good. Uh, I, just, I just left fourth wall, so I got a lot of I got a lot of things to say. That's right. You, that's right. Fourth wall today. You did pro fourth wall. Yeah, the improv did. Yeah, great. You, you, so you got a lot of shows coming up this week, man. Uh, yeah. Not next week. Next week's next pretty week. good for me. Yeah. This week I just got something uh, tonight, Monday uh, at Third Wheel. I'm like helping host something, okay. but. Uh, Next week's pretty good. Going yeah. to Santa Barbara, gonna be in North Hollywood, gonna be gonna be all over Southern California. So it should be Santa should Barbara. Be a good time. Yeah, they got host- some comedy clubs up there. That's crazy. No, no. it's like a bar show. Ah, uh, got it. Yeah, that that I don't get booked at a lot of comedy clubs. It's mostly bars. And- That's wild to me, bro. Seriously, that is wild to me that you don't get booked at comedy clubs. I'm a nobody. Ah, dude, but you you're gotta funny as hell. Oh, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But you gotta you gotta sell tickets. And if you're not selling uh, tickets, you know, if you're not making them money, why would they? want to make you money like right that's you know it's it's a business right is what yeah. it is. and i completely understand that there's a lot of people who think they should be headlining clubs but have a thousand followers on instagram <laughs> and don't even have a youtube account like they they're not even like signed into youtube so they have like no videos out there of that showing like showcasing their stuff no instagram mm. reels out a thousand followers and they're like i'm ready to do brea i can sell 450 tickets i'm absolutely ready to do brea and I'm just not in that mindset. Right. Like, I just put in the work, good things will come, and then you'll do the things you want to do. Like, that's just, and then it works from there. Right. And also, you don't want to rush stuff because we're seeing a lot of like these, hmm. uh, like TikTok celebrities, YouTubers, right, right, and stuff yeah. like that, who want to be stand up comedians. Right. And then because of their following, they get put in a place where they get these big shows, but they're not ready. Yeah. They're not good enough. That was something I didn't know coming into comedy, how that, that, like, kind of that, I don't want to, like, I don't want to call it, like, conflict or anything, but just the two differences in that, you know what I mean? Just influencers and real stand-up comics, dude. And that, I mean, it makes sense, you know what I mean? Like you said, it's a business, so these people have hundreds of thousands of people following them, so they're just going to go up there and... They can sell out 
a 500 seater they could sell out a thousand seats and they're usually the main act yeah yeah they usually headline so they'll bring they'll bring actual experienced comedians to host and feature mm-hmm. or usually for shows like that the club will book the host in the feature because they don't have their own most like headliners that are actual stand-up comedians have their own feature or their own host or something like that um or they'll just use like a local guy but uh the YouTubers and the TikTok celebrities, they don't have a built-in one who they came up with in stand-up. Mm. So they'll use who the club gives them. And the people that the club give them are usually much better than yeah, them at right, stand-up. Right. But the crowd isn't there for them, so it doesn't matter. Like, mm. they'll they'll do great. Um, they're better stand-ups. They'll get the show all warmed up. And then the headliner will come out there for 35, 40 minutes. Do fine because it's a hot room that wants to see them. But you can see the disparity between, like, the quality of stand-up. Like really clearly, you can see it, and but they're selling tickets, yeah. And the st- good stand-ups aren't because they're nobodies. Yeah, that kind of sucks, dude. That it's really sucks. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it doesn't sound fair, but like technically it is on the business side. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know if if you're not making them money, why would they waste a day on their calendar? Mm-hmm. Like they do a lot of clubs want to. Uh, like foster young talent, bring people up. Um, give people opportunities sure but the bottom line is they got to pay employees they got to pay rent mm. they got to you know pay the other headlining acts and stuff so it's it just it makes perfect sense it doesn't sound fair on the surface but once you just dig one level deeper it's perfectly fine yeah and that's just the way it is and mm-hmm. always will be and i think that's fair um so we talked a lot obviously and you said you've been doing stand-up for two years and improv before that mm-hmm. uh, i want to know i want to why that switch, or maybe there wasn't a switch, but why that switch from improv to stand-up? What was what was going on through your mind there? Uh, so I always liked stand-up more. I always liked watching stand-up more and hanging out with stand-ups uh, more. Mm. And I would, like, try it from time to time. Like, I would do, like, a mic, and then I would quit for, like, a year. I would do, like, two open mics, quit for two years. Why? And stuff like that. I just never, I hate the waiting to get up on stage. Yeah. That's my least favorite thing in the world. Like, I, I have learned to be more supportive now. And learn that that's just part of the game is like you just got to wait your turn. But at that time, I wasn't like mature enough or Mm. smart enough to understand that. Patient enough. Yeah, definitely not patient enough. I was an idiot and I still am an idiot for thinking that this is a career choice. (laughs) But um, I would, yeah, I would sit there for an hour and a half, two hours at like a mic where it was like bucket poles. So it's like random lottery. You put your name in a bucket. They draw them. Sometimes you don't get up at those because they got it in the mic. The restaurant's closing the theater that it's at the club that it's at or whatever needs to move on to something else. So you just didn't get up. And I remember sitting there for two hours and not getting up and being like, I just sat here for two hours and watched the worst show I've ever seen in my (laughs) life and didn't get any stage time. So then I was like, I'm going to focus on improv and sketch and all that because I thought what I wanted to do was be on SNL like, or Mm. write for late night television or maybe host late night TV. But then I started seeing like the shift in the industry away from that like medium and stuff like that. I saw the writing on the wall of like the crash of improv because, um, right. Like I started thinking that Bob Odenkirk said in like 2015 that the crash is inevitable. And I remember reading that and seeing the scene in Los Angeles of like UCB, IO, uh, nerd melt, which used to be open at meltdown comics, which is now like an apartment complex or something like that. Um, Second City, Groundlings. Groundlings and UCB are still going, but UCB is right. way smaller, and then Groundlings is about the same as they were. 
And then slowly, little by little, these places just started getting ticked away. Like Meltdown got bought out by a like a big corporation. So they tore that whole building down. Damn. So we lost the Nerd Melt stage and then the Nerdist Theater, which was their improv theater, which was to the side of Nerd Melt. Mm-hmm. Uh, IO West went out of business, which then led to IO going out of business. Uh, pandemic hit. And then it took out Second City, which is where I did a majority of my training. All here in L.A., by the way. This is all here in L.A. Um, and then it also took out UCB New York. Like, I don't think Holy they have shit. anything out there anymore. I don't no think they kidding. have their theaters New York? anymore. Yeah, I think UCB New York is done. What was they just the shift? Franklin. What was the, like, what happened? Like, I think, I don't know. I don't know what caused it. It's just, I started seeing these places just drop and everything like that. And I was, it was s- lower opportunities for someone like me because the, the industry is looking for diversity right now, which is great. I think that should happen. I think movies and TV shows should reflect the country that we live in, which right. is a diverse country made of many different people. I just didn't think I was talented enough to be the white guy that gets picked. I just wasn't. I didn't fit the bill of that in mm. improv. I see. It was a very specific type of white guy in improv, and that's just not who I was, and I wasn't like – gonna pretend to be that right percent white guy like i'm i'm not extremely to the left i'm not to the right i'm a centrist and like to make it in that side of the industry you have to be completely to the left yeah and all of your belief systems and everything you say has to be pc and everything and i was just like i don't really want to do that yeah and then stand up was something like this was right before the pandemic i was like you could say what you want like i'm not out there saying hate speech or anything like right. that it's just there's a lot of things that are off limits in improv and sketch that aren't in stand up that you're able to like talk about in the context of a joke. So I started doing that right before the pandemic. Um, wasn't taking it seriously. I was doing it like twice a week. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was like a month. And then pandemic hit, just stayed at home. And then February of 2020, in 2021, I was like, all right, I learned about Fourth Wall. I learned right, yeah. about this place called Flashback. And then can't even comedy, which is now in Austin, Texas. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna start going to these places. And then I was like, every day I'm gonna do this. And I was like, and I'll get back to improv when that starts up. But I enjoyed stand up so much more than improv that I just decided to stick with it. That was such a long winded answer. That was no, not even dude. man. That's that what I'm rambling. looking for. That's what I'm looking for, yeah? dude. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. That felt like rambling to me, but. Yeah, and I've been doing stand-up every single day. I mean, with the occasional day off, if I'm sick, family stuff gets in the way, or like if it's a travel day or something like that, that's the only time I will take a day off. But other than that, it's every single day, seven days a week, at least one. But my goal is to hit, do three sets a night, every single night. So I try to hit 21 in a week, every week. And it gets tough. Sometimes you're not able to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's necessary to get good at this because I see a lot of people coming in it, and they're like, "Oh, well, I, you know, I got to take Sundays off." And I'm right. like, "Why?" And they're like, "That's just the day where me and my girlfriend yeah, yeah. watch TV together." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, we well, should quit now." Yeah, like it's just a fact. I'm sorry. Like a lot of people think that's harsh, but if you can't give every single day of your life to it, then you quit because you're not gonna succeed. I, I don't think. Right. I, th- I think that's for everything, dude, right? Yeah, like You, you got to be obsessed with it. Like every I, discipline, yes. I remember when I first met you, you were just like the mama mentality, dude. And it was crazy. I don't <laughs> know if you uh, uh, if you ever read the book um, Relentless by Tim Grover. No. Uh, so basically, he was like Kobe's, um, he was like his 
basketball mentor, but it was really for his like mental state, dude. And okay. this guy was just saying that it was just that, dude. That Kobe was just different from everybody. Dude. Yeah. Like you just have you have to be obsessed and crazy about it, man. Yes, absolutely. And that was one thing where I was just like, all right, that's why I respected you. I was like, that's one of the first things you said to me. I was like, all right, he knows what. Yeah, every day. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't half ass this because the crowd will know, bookers will know, everybody will know. If you're half-assing it or whatever, like you can, everybody convinces themselves that they're doing it fully. Mm. But then like, you see that I'm on Instagram, like they're at a party instead of at a mic that night or whatever. And it's like, that's fine. You need a social life, but what are you doing after the party? What did you do before the party to contribute to your dream or whatever? That's what I like. I tell people, I'm like, if you're struggling to go to an open mic, if you're like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. I'm like, just pretend this is your dream. And what you want to do with the rest of your life, which is what you've convinced yourself it is. So you should be able to push yourself to go out there and do more. I, th- I think there's never too many sets you can do. A lot of people argue that's like law of diminishing returns. Like, no, just get up there and bomb. If yeah. you're tired after you've done five sets that night and you're like, oh, OK, well, I could go get up a sixth time. But you're mentally done and you go up there, you're going to bomb. And that's good for you. You should be bombing. Bombing is great for you because you just had you could have five great sets in a night and then but you're not learning anything from a lot of those great sets. You're you're just repeating what you've been doing that, you know, works. And then that sixth one where you're tired and you're like, I don't want to say that stuff I've said five times. Right. I'm going to say something new at this one. And that new one bombs. And then you get to find out why it bombed. You're learning from that. You learn more from that than you learn from a kill, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will like they'll have a good set and they'll stop. After that, they'll be like, I had a good set. I'm going home. I'm calling it. And I tried that for like two weeks. Like, all right, good set. I'm ending tonight on a high note, so I feel good about right. myself. And then you get worse at stand-up comedy. You're not supposed to feel good about yourself when doing this. You're supposed to feel like a failure, which is probably why this is a good name for a podcast if you're a stand-up comedian. What's it called again? The failure? The successful failure. The successful failure. Yeah. yeah. That's what this is. You should successfully be failing Every day, so that's that your doing this. mentality. Then, when you're going you to these to. open mics, like on the third one, you're just like, "All right, I'm just a whole new, sh- whole new set." Yeah, or, or like, "All right, I'm gonna try that new tag right right there that I thought of today. I'm gonna try this new bit. I'm gonna hash out this premise on stage, which is usually a guaranteed bomb because you don't have anything yet. It's just a premise. Dude, and, and a lot of young comics go up with premises, thinking that it's a bit." But it's just you saying something that you thought that has potential to be funny. And then when you're in front of a group of people who are all judging you, that's the best time, I think, to be like, all right, let's figure this out. What's funny? And then most of the time, it doesn't work. It's a bomb. Most of the time. But you learned what didn't work with that. And and then you find little nuggets of it that do work. And that's productive, I think. Hmm. I think you should bomb your ass off consistently. And that's how you get good at this. If you're not bombing, you're not learning. Right, right. That's that's and again to me. That was such just a wild fucking thing. All right, the, the, just that idea when I first started off doing stand up because everyone I saw, especially you, you guys, were fuck, you're funny. You know what I mean? Everything I saw you do, every fucking skit or bit, I was fucking, I was with it. And then I'd hear you go out and bomb, and I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, every night. That's a wild dude. That's so. And so when you're hit, where, where do you like to go when you hit uh, these open mics? What were some of the places you like to go? Uh, Third wheel is my favorite place to go um, because they don't they don't charge comics to do it. Hmm. A big thing in L.A. is five dollars for five minutes, right. which is very common. And that's fine if that's your business model. But uh, that gets expensive, especially if you want to hit 21 
20 to 21 mics in a week, right. 25 sometimes. That's over 100 bucks. $5 a mic, 20 mics, that's 100 right there that you're spending on just going up in front of strangers. But Third Wheel in Hollywood off of Santa Monica Boulevard, they offer free mics. Every single mic is free. They've never charged for an open mic, and they say they never will. So that's why I go there. I choose to support that place with my time and my money uh, supporting their concessions because they have alcohol, they have alcoholic drinks, non-alcoholic drinks, anything you need. This sounds like a commercial for Third Wheel. I just really like what they do for comics. Um, So I like that place. Uh, I like the improv a lot for Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I think the Tuesday mic is my favorite open mic in the city. I think that's the best. because you get up in front of the booker of the improv. And then if you do well consistently in front of her, you get opportunities from it. And then she'll bring in the booker of Irvine, Brea, sometimes the booker of oh, Oxnard. Wow. Yeah, and then that's how I've got an opportunity to like host at Irvine Improv, to host at the Hollywood Improv, to cold open the main room of the Hollywood Improv. Is just all through that open mic and just you know going up there with stuff that I worked on throughout the month. Mm-hmm. I, use, I go there about once a month for the Tuesday mic. I try not to go there too often unless I have something brand new that works to show the booker. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to go up there and be like, I'm experimenting with this or whatever. Cause yeah. that's not, I don't think that's what it's for. It's an audition. It, yeah, dude, exactly. Especially if the booker's there, dude. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that, you know, I mean, obviously there's a booker there, but I went to HaHa a couple of weeks ago when the booker was there. Yeah, and I was, I was just, there too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah. I was just going there just, you know, it was an open mic. I haven't been really doing a lot of open mics lately, just the improv stuff, mm-hmm. just because I'm trying to get comfortable on stage. And I went up there and I obviously bombed. But I forget who it was, but I, I kind of went through it, and then they were just like, yeah, maybe next time just come in with more material because the booker's here. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even think about that. I was, You shouldn't you shouldn't be concerned with bookers. How long have you been doing it? A fucking month and a half, yeah, dude. You shouldn't be concerned with bookers yet. You shouldn't. It took me— Should I go to those open mics, though, where the bookers are there? Because, like, you know, the first impression is very—you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, have you gotten up at the improv yet? No, I, I, I haven't even put my name up on the improv, to okay. be honest with you, yeah. Do you feel like you have a three-minute set that is bulletproof? No. Okay. Then, yeah, I wouldn't do it. Right. Personally, I would not go. Yeah. But once you feel like you have a three-minute set that is great, like uh, no doubt in your mind that that stuff will kill. And if it doesn't work at the open mic, the Rita, the booker of the improv, knows if it's good or not. Once you have that three minutes, then you go. Right. And you show her that, and then she'll remember that. And then you wait until you have another three mm. to show her that you're proud of, that is bulletproof. And then little by little, she starts to remember your name. She starts to give you um, lab spots or whatever. And then that's when it's worth it. But right now, if you don't feel you have a bulletproof three, I wouldn't be putting my name in. Right. I'd be going and watching. Yeah, that's what I do. Because there's a lot of pro like working comics. That's how I met you, dude. Open mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a working comic. <laughs> but... There's a lot of working comics that go up at that open mic that are really good, and you can learn a lot from them. 100%. Like, do you go and watch good comedy? Like, do you go, or do you just watch open mic? No, I go watch a good comedy. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, Where do yeah. you go? Uh, I'll go to, like, comedy store or, like, um, Great. improv. Great. Yeah, that's all. I'm, again, I, I don't really know the environment, so those are, the, like, really only big two that I... Those are the, those are the best two in the city. Okay. But, yeah, comedy store is great because they'll let you, if you're a comic, go sit in the back. And just watch for free. No shit. Yeah. Anytime you want. If there's space in the back, you just tell them, I'm stand up. And they'll let you go sit in the back. No shit. Yeah, dude. you don't have to pay. You don't have to buy drinks. Nothing no like that. No fucking way. Yeah. When, 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 when are they, like Mondays? Every day. Every day? Yeah. If there's space, sometimes it's sold out, so you know you don't have any luck. But 
if there is space in the back of the main room, the OR, the belly room, whichever one you want to go in at the comedy store, they will let you go back there and watch. What the fuck? Yeah, and they won't bug know. you until they need your seat for a paying customer. Wow. Once that happens, they'll kick you out. But in the meantime, you just saw Bill Burr, right? Yeah, uh, Tom Segura, like free. back to back for yeah. free. Yeah, you just saw a two hundred dollar show for free. Or if you just buy a ticket for fifteen, you're seeing a two hundred dollar show that's for very fifteen dollars. That's very true. But yeah, that that's also a huge thing that nobody told me was, and I wasn't doing it. Is go watch good comedy because. Mm. I was just doing so many open mics because I thought that was the only thing to do. It's the biggest thing. And I wasn't allowing myself to also have the time to go watch good comedy. So that's that's what I learned in my like beginning of my second year doing it mm -hmm. was go to the improv, go to the comedy store, sit in the back and just watch it. And you'll learn so much. And you that. just go up there and ask them? Or just like I'm a comedian? Well, at this point, like I'm not – in with the staff there like i wouldn't say like i'm good friends with any of mm -hmm. them um some of them i know better than others or whatever and i'll just approach those ones and be like hey could i sit in the and usually they'll know who i am um just based off doing mics or shows with them and stuff but right. the stage you're at right now you just go up to them and say hey i'm a new comic is it cool if i sit in the back and 99 percent of the time they're gonna be cool about what it. the fuck i had no idea dude. Yeah. that's crazy it's a great resource that not enough comics take advantage exactly of. yeah because that that's school is what that is mm. the open mic is practice watching pros work on their craft is school because you're gonna see them bomb too which is huge to see these people who you think are bulletproof stand-up comedians go up there with their new premise and it just doesn't work Jesus, that's what the that's fuck? the best thing to watch in the world. Mm. That's the best learning experience for your confidence and to watch the joke grow too. I recommend like if you can. I watched this recently with Sebastian Maniscalco. Maniscalco, I can never, you know who I'm talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, um, I went and watched after he filmed his hour and his hour came out. Him start the process over again, and I saw the growth of this 15 minutes he was working on over the course of a month and a Holy half, two shit. months. And that was a great learning experience to see it start from like nuggets of information and stuff like a nugget of a joke mm -hmm. into these great bits that are now going to be in his new special was like incredible to watch where they were funny out the gate because he's Sebastian. Mm -hmm. So he's got that goodwill at the f at the top with right. the audience. And also mm -hmm. he's a f one of the best in the world. He's a pro. So he knows how to like even if it's not the best joke yet, he knows how to make it good up front. So he wasn't bombing with it. But it wasn't crushing. Right. And then to see the joke turn into crushing over time just by consistently going and watching, it's the greatest course you'll ever take in stand-up. That is wild, dude. Everyone should be doing that if you're doing stand-up comedy. Um, going back, you said a killer three minutes. How long were you doing stand-up until you felt like you had that killer three minutes? Over a year. Over a year? Fuck. Yeah. Until I had a three minutes that I thought was good enough for the book or the improv to see. It took me a year until I got up there. What, I was dude? going there, right? Because right. nobody told me like, "Hey, like, have your shit together before you go there." So I started going to the improv mic when it started up again after the pandemic. And you were um, getting pulled up the there? Line. No, no, no. It took me over a year to get there, Holy and I'm shit. so happy it did, because the first time I got up in front of Rita, I did really well, and then I got the callback spot for the next day. So then, in her mind, mm. I was somebody who, out the gate, did well. So that was her first impression of me was, oh, he had a great three minutes on the Tuesday mic. I want to bring him back tomorrow and see another five. 
and then showed her that five minutes or whatever. Nothing came from it. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect anything to. And then the next time I got up was like two months later, and I had another three minutes that I was excited about. Did it. Got the callback spot again. So now in her mind, I'm two for two. The only two times she's seen me, I've done well, and she's liked my stuff. So then the third time I do it, do it again. Another three minutes that she hasn't seen, I, it hits Damn. again. I get it again. Fourth time, same thing. So now four times, I'm four for four. She books me uh, to do a spot in the lab. I do well on that show, and then I get pulled a fifth time, five for five, do it again. Now I'm hosting uh the open mic and now i'm getting another spot in the lab and a cold open in the main room all from going five sets she saw me uh on tuesday all five sets did well and then offered three shows off the bat just from that because that's the impression she has of me because i didn't get up too early and she said at um like this town hall meeting they did before you started doing stand-up like not too long ago that uh if she sees you and she sees you bomb really bad it will take time for her to get that out of her head. Like she's gonna watch you with an open mind, and she's gonna be like appreciative that you're there and that you're trying hard. But that's still gonna be there. That she's like, I just saw you do that a few months ago. It's like, how do I know you're completely past that? Yeah. So yeah, have your bulletproof three before you go. So I would say, give it a year. Yeah. I would say, like, yeah. enjoy the open mics right now. Right. Yeah. As much as you can, because they're pretty miserable at times. <laughs> but just enjoy getting better at it. Because it will happen. You will, you're very hard on yourself is what I see. Yeah. Which everybody is at first. Asian, right? What? It's an Asian thing, dude. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing about race. But uh, I can't. Um, and that's normal. But just know that what you're good. Because do you feel like you're bombing all the time? Uh, you feel like. Yeah. 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 No, what you're doing is normal. Everybody's been through that. It was honestly just last week in terms of the improv. Like I started like feeling like I'm catching my foot, feeling you know what I mean. Like I'm starting like I'm doing like one line zingers now, which I haven't haven't experienced this past month. You know what I mean. So it's I'm getting comfortable now, which is why right now I'm like okay, I'm ready for these open mics because the improv I I used to be nervous about it, but now I'm just like okay, I can go up there and I I've got everything together. But when I do the open mic, I just get so in my head because it's like. You know, with improv, it's just they're throwing you ideas and they're throwing you. Yeah. And then obviously with open mic, it's just everything's in your head. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, right now in terms of where I'm at, especially because most of the open mics are five minutes, I'm just getting lost in my head. You know what I mean? That's normal. That's going to happen. It's what we're doing is unnatural to go up in front of a group of people into a microphone and be like, hey, these are my thoughts and who I am as a person. Mm. Do you approve as a group of who I am as a person? And if half the room goes, no, we don't approve, you lose. And then you go up, and you're going up there as yourself with your thoughts and what you think is funny. And if half the room goes, nope, then you have that in your head while you're up there. And it it takes a long time. I'm not over that yet. Like, I don't think I will be for years Yeah, past that point. Of like, ah, damn. Like, do I mind bombing on an open mic? No, who cares? But bombing on a show is, it's still a devastating feeling. 100%. But but then again, you remember like, okay, everybody's done this. Everybody bombs. Like, the greats bomb. I'm not one of the greats. What's to stop me from fucking bombing? Mm. Like, if if Jerry Seinfeld bombed, I'm going to bomb atrociously like 100,000 times. But uh, I forgot what we were saying. I've been just giving long-winded answers. No, dude, this is exactly, dude, this is perfect, man. This is, yeah, this is, 
I'm my, I want my guests to talk, dude. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Bro, I feel like, I feel like I'm saying too much. That's no, like, not dude. I'm learning here. This is like awesome okay, for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah I'm learning here. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, it's just for, for me. Everybody just, else, it's like to the listeners. Dude, everybody else <laughs> is so bored right now, and I sound so narcissistic. I'm like, the key to being a successful comedian, as I'm sitting here in my crossroads thrifted shorts and a t-shirt that I took at a concert from under somebody's seat wearing and then my shoes were given to me at my job and then my socks are nine years old and I'm like here's the fucking secret to being successful wearing underwear that I've had since I was 14 Jesus Christ I feel like such a loser well, that's a perfect fucking time to end this, dude. It's Amazing. been a half hour. Thank you so much for your time, CJ. Uh, let my five listeners know where they can find you on social media, dude. Uh, CJ Price Comedy on Instagram. Uh, CJ Price Comedy on TikTok. Uh, follow Boom Mic Comedy on Instagram as well. It's a weekly open mic that I help run in the Arts District of Los Angeles. And also Animal Fries Podcast, available wherever you can get a podcast. You got a podcast? Uh, yeah, no episodes are out yet. But, uh, <laughs> but I figure by the time... Anybody watches this, it will be out. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, dude, CJ, I appreciate you coming, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. Hell yeah.